Fear will keep you from healing. Shame will keep you quiet. And, you know, again, there may be something God wants you to deal with. He may have you reveal it so healing can take place, or he may just say, hey, you and me need to do some business, and that's cool too. But see, we see that this rape was swept under the rug. It didn't stay there. Somebody kept tripping over it. His name was Absalom. And he knew that lump was there. And though he tried to kick it and flatten it as much as he could, he just just couldn't get it out of his head. to shame, not just for the person who committed the sin, but also for the people that sin affected. You today might be dealing with shame that someone else's sin caused. You might even have some sins that you've locked away and tried to keep secret, but they just aren't staying quiet. Today is a great day to dive into anything that's causing you grief. God wants to open those areas of your life that you've been trying to avoid and begin the healing process. As you listen to Pastor Mark's message today, let God bring to mind the thing He most wants to work on and let His grace and love fully envelop you. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 13 with today's edition of Come Alive. God does something for us in this book. He says, yeah, you need to repent, but as you know my word and you do these things and you abide by what I write in here and you surrender yourself to my son Jesus Christ as he points to me, as he has sent you a helper called the Holy Spirit to convict, to encourage and exhort, then As you do those things, then yeah, there is some change that will take place, but not because of your own strength, never because of what I can do personally or you can do personally, but what God can do through us. And it needs to be addressed so that it can hopefully not happen again. Certain things need to be addressed so it doesn't happen again. A lot of times we just want to make it quiet and hope that it goes away, and it may not. Not for a long time. I know this through experience through some of the outreaches I do for something called Rachel's Vineyard, New Heart Ministries, abortion recovery. People who've had abortions 20, 30, 40, even 50 years later come broken, crying, torn up. And I've heard stories of rape and incest and horrible things that have been done to women and men who come through this ministry. But the one thing I've learned is that this hidden secret... This hidden thing always comes back. There tends to be a guilt if there's not correct healing. And so it does need to be addressed so it doesn't happen again. To keep silent doesn't mean that it's love. To keep silent, you might think, well, nobody wants to know that story. And this is what we tell some of those men and women who've gone through an abortion or something similar. is like, you know what, for you to keep silent about that only allows other people to continue on in this thing. Because if you stood up and you spoke out and you said, hey, this is what happened to me, maybe enough people will hear and say, whoa, that's horrible. We should put a stop to that. There's a petition out there that we ask people to sign all the time saying, hey, and they tell their stories about what abortion has done to them, about what a rape or a molestation has done to them. 
So there can be laws and things done and taken care of and even addressed in churches. You know, I'm amazed at how many women have come through that healing ministry and how many of their pastors have told them to get an abortion. Pastors. Now you might think, well, that's kind of weird. Yeah, well, it's a stain on the church if there's a single young woman pregnant in here and she's not married and some of the, one of the youth group kids got her pregnant. It's bad. And that family, well, it's a stain on that family's name. We don't want that stain on their name, so we're going to go ahead and encourage them to do this. Yeah, granted, they didn't force them. But when we start covering and burying things up, well, just like a seed, something grows and it's not going to be good. And this thing tends to grow. And because of this, this girl's life is trashed and no one, dad or brother, does anything for her. A lot of times these parents will even tell these young ladies to go get an abortion. And now it causes a rift between mom and daughter or mom, dad, and daughter. And these lives are torn apart because nobody's done anything to take a stand and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, you blew it. Hopefully you don't blow it again. But let's take care of this the way we're supposed to, the way the Bible tells us to take care of it. The way the Bible tells us to look at this is a life. But because David and his great or not so great parenting skills addresses and says nothing we see something very horribly bad go wrong hebrews 12:14 through 15 says pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the lord looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of god lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many will become defiled look at verse 23 it says, and it came to pass after two full years. So now the sowing has been done, and it's time to reap. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. Then Absalom came to the king and said kindly, Note, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go now, lest we all be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him so to let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. And so now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him, do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. Here we see that Absalom, obviously there's a festival and they're going to shear some sheep. And they're going to get all these sheep and they're going to shave them and they're going to collect the wool and it's going to be this big party and they're going to have a barbecue, probably kill a couple of them, eat. And so he, he sells this festive thing to David or tries to. And so he says, well, just let all the sons come. So all the sons get to go. See, Tamar internalized it. Absalom, well, he thought it was over, but it really wasn't because it ate at him for two years, two long years. They didn't leave bygones as bygones. They didn't let that sleeping dog lie because they never addressed it. So Amnon thinks he's going to be going to this great feast. So do all his other brothers, but everything is not okay. Everything's not okay in the king's house. Two years go by, this thing festers, and it comes to a 
tragic end. Look at verse 29. It says, So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each one got on his mule and fled. They take off. The servants thought this to be the right thing to do because they were commanded to do it. The servants thought it was okay. Remember, many will become defiled. Here's part of it. Your sin has a great effect on everyone around you, whether you think it does or not. It can have a great effect on everyone around you. See, all the other sons are like, dude, run. So they jump on their mules and they get out of there. They're thinking, oh, man, this is going to be bad for us too because they kill one of, one of their brothers is killed. So Absalom, this anger has become affliction. I've seen it multiple times when things like this happen and they're swept under the rug. Anger becomes affliction. Somebody wants to repay the favor, the hurt and the pain. See, I've said it a couple of times before in the last few weeks, and I'm going to say it again. You got to deal with the root, not the fruit. You got to deal with the root. What was the root of this thing? Well, it goes all the way back to Amnon lusting after his sister. It goes all the way back to a buddy named Jonadab giving some really horrible advice. And we're going to see this crafty guy pop up again in a little bit. So fear will keep you from healing. Fear, being afraid of mentioning this horrible thing. Now, it's not to go out to the press and to the news, but it needs to go to somebody you trust. And first and foremost, it should go to God and say, Lord, here's this sin. Here's this thing. Here's this urge, this desire, this thing that I have going on. Who should I tell? Who should I go to? Who should I talk to? And then once we get it out in the open, you hear yourself actually say it and call it what it is. Name it for what it is. Don't try to make it sound pretty for the Lord because he knows what it is. And once you get to that point, he says, okay, let me direct you to this person. Then you should start praying for that person that he can receive that information. Because sometimes if it's that, man, that's heavy stuff. That's hardcore. We need to be sure that we are praying and asking the Lord for his direction in it. And then as we talked about, he'll give you peace. He'll allow you to have peace to say it. It doesn't mean it's going to hurt less saying it. It's going to bring up and drudge up things that you don't want there. But sometimes you have to float those things to the top so you can be that perfect jewel, that precious metal he wants you to be. And so that fear will keep you from healing. Shame will keep you quiet. And, you know, again, there may be something God wants you to deal with. He may have you reveal it so healing can take place, or he may just say, hey, you and me need to do some business, and that's cool too. But see, we see that this rape was swept under the rug, It didn't stay there. Somebody kept tripping over it. His name was Absalom. He knew that lump was there, and though he tried to kick it and flatten it as much as he could, he just just couldn't get it out of his head. So he tries to stay silent, but he can't. Look at verse 30. And it came to pass while they were on their way that news came to David, saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. So the king arose, tore his garments, and lay on the ground, 
And all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. Then Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom that has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Oh, Jonadab. Now we know a little bit more about the story. This, how does this guy know from the day that it's happened till this day for two years that this has been planned out? Well, remember Jonadab going over and say, hey, hey, bro, man, you, you look skinny. You look sick. Yeah, I know you're distressed over your sister Tamar. But, you know, why? Why are you becoming thinner day by day? Why won't you tell me? Tell me. So he tells him, hey, I love my sister. And so Jonadab says to him in verse 5 of chapter 13, lie down on your bed, pretend to be ill. He's the guy that comes up with the plan. I don't know if this guy was trying to be well-intentioned or just crafty and sneaky because he probably knows what takes place, goes over to Absalom and says, hey, man, I can't believe that happened to your sister. What are you going to do about it? And he probably helped him. It doesn't say the Bible's silent about it. But he knew of this thing. I mean, think about what he says to David. Hey, don't worry. Only one of your sons are dead. Like, that's going to make it feel better. Only one of your sons are dead. How's he know? He wasn't there. Hey, David, don't take this so seriously, bro. It's only one. It was the bad one. It was the guy that... I mean, why didn't he just say it was the guy that took my advice? I told him to do it. Well, cowards don't do those things. Cowards run and hide. Verse 34 says, Then Absalom fled, and the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes, looked, and there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said to the king, Look, the king's sons are coming, as your servant said, So it is. So it was as soon as he had finished speaking that the king's sons indeed came, they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of a, 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 I can't even say that name, king of Geshur, and David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled, went to Geshur, and there... Well, he was there for three years, and King David longed to be with Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. He doesn't run to a city of refuge. If you remember, we talked about those a while back. A city of refuge is a place you could go if you accidentally killed somebody. It'd be a what we call manslaughter today. You and your favorite mule are out racing around in your chariot, and somebody runs in front of you, and you run them over. That'd be manslaughter. And so that family could revenge that death. And so in the Bible in Old Testament times, you had a place you could run to for safety, a city of refuge, so to speak. And so there were certain cities, and you could go there if it was accidental death. So the family members couldn't kill you, couldn't seek revenge on you. But he couldn't do that because he was guilty. He was guilty of premeditated murder. He had planned this out. Okay, so this place he runs to, it's Tamar's mom's family. He goes to the in-laws, David's in-laws. We're going to see two families square off, kind of like the Hatfields and McCoys. 
See, David wants to hang out with his son Absalom. He wants to hang out, and Absalom wants to hang out with David, but he won't come home because of the sin, and Tamar's shamed, and her family's being torn apart because somebody decided just to be a little silent. So as we get ready to close, you might want to ask yourself, well, how does this thing happen? How does this take place? Well, go back to the beginning because of lust. See, if David had administered some biblical correction, according to Exodus twenty-two sixteen through 17 and Deuteronomy twenty-two twenty-eight through 29, Absalom would not have felt as free to administer his own brutal correction on his brother. See, a lot of times we as parents, oh, we want to love our kids And we tend to love them and think it's love, but we love them the wrong way. Good intentions are good intentions, but they don't do a whole lot for our children when they're older. And so sometimes punishment needs to take place. Discipline needs to happen to correct whatever lust they have. And you can say, oh, my kid's too young to lust. Oh, no, no, no. Lust happens. The minute he has a desire she has a desire for something so bad that she just walks over and snatches it out of somebody's hand that other kid punches him in the face you might think oh man that was cruel how could that kid punch my kid well that kid doesn't know any better that's just how they deal with stuff you see little babies do it all the time go sit in the nursery one day and let two of them play with the same toy you'll see a good fight me and some of the leaders go over there and we make bets on whose kid's going to win. No, I'm kidding. We don't do that. Because I'm in here. I've got witnesses. But I mean, you think about it, that's just the way it is. They don't know any better. So there's a little corrective discipline. Now, not that our child care people spank your kids, but they separate them and say, hey, no, no, no. It's not right. It's you, mom and dad, when we see those things happening that are wrong, and we, you might let it slide once or twice. But the third time it seems that they do something wrong is a lot easier, and so now it's even tougher for you to have to correct it because sometimes in my own life I hear, well, it was okay yesterday. And my answer sometimes is, well, yesterday I gave you mercy, and today I'm giving you correction. We got this big stick. It says correction. I'm kidding. It's just a, we discipline them. You cannot ride your bike for a week if you blow it once. And then if you lose something, we call it lose. If you want to lose something else, you can lose something else. We've gone whole days where one kid has lost it all. We've gone a week where both kids have lost it all. And they continue to lose. It just makes life easier sometimes for me and my wife, because it's like, oh, cool, man. We don't have to do anything with these kids this week. They've been so bad, and it's like a vacation for us. We don't have to run them anywhere. They, don't have to, they can't go to anybody's friend's birthday parties, and as fun as birthday parties are, my couch is a lot more fun to me than a birthday party. Unless there's 10 clowns, and then that's a lot of fun. But, you know, sometimes that happens. But we have to correct them, and it starts when they're little. And you can say, well, you know, I've let it slide a long time. Now they're a little bigger. Well, it's never too late. It's just a little harder. It's a little tougher. But what happens is lust took over. And as you can see, that lust turned into, well, 
a shameful act, a shameful act and people thinking it was okay to keep it quiet turned into a, well, here's a murder taking place, something being plotted. If David would have just said, hey, you know, sometimes we as parents are always like, oh, well, you know, and I've heard this. I've heard this from plenty of Christian parents. I can't get onto them because I did the same thing when I was their age. Tell you what, that's the worst attitude in the world to have. That's number one, lazy on the part of the parent. Number two, it's ignorance because maybe they don't know any better. And number three, it's not healthy. It's not good because what you've done, I don't want my son out there stealing cars. So I will do everything I can to prevent him from stealing anything. And sometimes that means administering harsh punishment, a spanking, a grounding, a removing of something he really likes. I'm not worried about whether or not he likes me today. And he could even say that he hates me today. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about him saying later on when he's 30 or 40, man, my dad really cared enough to do that to me back then. And it sure kept me from doing it again later. I can't tell you how often as a senior in high school, my friends would call and ask me to go out and do things, and I just didn't want to go out and do things because I didn't know how. I was that guy that kept silent because that's what my parents did. It taught me to be silent. It taught me not to stand up for what was right, even though I knew right and wrong. Doing the wrong things in the late of Fridays and Saturday nights, And my friends would call, and I knew we were just going to get in trouble or cause trouble. We might even get away with a lot of stuff that evening. But I remember telling my dad, hey, if my friends call, will you please tell them you grounded me? And he was like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. Because I didn't want to go out and do wrong. I just didn't know how to say no. And if he didn't say that and they showed up and said, hey, let's go, I'd just look at my dad like, seriously? Can you help me out? Can you say stay home? I remember one time going out and, and my friends were doing such, such horrible things. And it wasn't too bad. They were just tearing up something and spray painting stuff. And I remember sitting in the back of the car just going, man, this is wrong. I wish my dad would have made me stay home. And you know, for a long time, my dad just thought I was a bad kid. He didn't hear the cry of help that was so silent. And sometimes we don't, and a lot of us might have and screaming for help right now in the silence, but we can't hear you. You've got to stand up and say you need help so we can help. Every time we create a new edition of Come Alive, we have the privilege of sharing the Word of God with you, our valued listener. Have you been touched by the Spirit as you've listened today? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a quick email at info at comealiveradio.com. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the Katy area, come join us for our Sunday morning service at Calvary Chapel Katy. We meet at 10 a.m. to dig into the Word with Pastor Mark, worship our loving and powerful Creator, and get to know each other better. You can find out more about us at comealiveradio.com. Before we go, Tracy wants to tell you how you can partner with us here at Come Alive. Thanks, Chris. Each edition of Come Alive that you hear has been professionally produced to minimize any distractions from the message of hope only God can bring. 
While we offer this program for free to our listeners, there are costs involved on our end. Would you pray about joining us as financial supporters of Come Alive? Any and all amounts are useful and so appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katie at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Thanks, Tracy. We're so glad you joined us today. Pastor Mark will have more to share from this study in the book of 2 Samuel. So join us again for Come Alive. From slavery.